0: Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movies are the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The Puppet Masters from 1994. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols, which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted.
1: My microphone's going to be off for two seconds.
2: (laughs) Okay.
3: It's an interesting way to start a conversation. Within more than two seconds he was lying through his damn teeth
2: oh, son of a bitch
1: no for some I had to fix something for some reason the sound was coming through my TV instead of my uh, <laughs> I wanted to start a sleeking feedback
3: loop in you guys' ears I, I tend to find me pretty funny so I wouldn't mind if it laying in the background we're talking. <laughs> Who's that guy? Oh, I'm
1: delightful. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's, that's the worst thing is when you're at work and you're listening to yourself and you start laughing and then somebody says, what are you laughing at? And you can't just be like, oh, a joke I made last Thursday.
1: <laughs> I'm know. i usually pretty quiet over at my desk and I was listening to uh, one of the random podcasts I listen to. Somebody cracked a joke, and I don't even think it was all that funny. I was just unprepared for how funny it would be, and I snorted so fucking loud. Like, just went, ah! <laughs> Perfect. I was like, well, that's embarrassing, so I'll just slide down here behind my cubicle wall.
2: Well, I'm sure you're not labeled the weird one at work.
1: Oh, I think I almost certainly am. <laughs> I mean, I have a preserved bat and spider on my desk. I think that puts me one up on everyone on the floor.
3: Yeah, that would do it.
2: I'm surprised you haven't been, like, uh, called into the office be like, someone's curious about your decor on your desk.
3: Yeah, everybody seemed to get it. I just thought the office was less than two meters wide, so you weren't allowed to get called in with another person. <laughs> Sorry, six feet wide.
2: Yeah, we don't know what fucking meters mean. Uh, come
1: on. Yeah, my, my desk is a is a trove. A trove of nerdery. Because <laughs> got, I've got my specimens, and then I've got a great big Dungeons & Dragons wall calendar, and then I've got my little... Day by day calendar that's all Marvel superheroes and Yeah it's a It's a shining beacon of I'm a dork
2: (laughs) As long as you're alright with it I guess
3: I don't give no fuck
2: My cat is losing his shit He just went racing upstairs It's not
3: normal cat behavior to randomly decide They have to
2: be somewhere (laughs) else It is but Sort of out of nowhere
1: I wish I could look back through time and figure out the exact uh, year of my life where I went from I'm a nerd and I'm embarrassed about it to I'm a nerd and go fuck yourself. Because <laughs> it happened at some point. Uh, college. I don't know. Po- possibly.
2: That's when you realize all this shit in high school didn't mean, really mean anything and you just do whatever the fuck you want
1: maybe it might have been maybe late college or maybe shortly after college whenever I started hanging out at like game stores and I was like oh my god there's a whole fucking thing nobody ever told me there was a whole fucking thing (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was just me and the three dudes I could talk into playing Dungeons and Dragons with me (laughs) sons of bitches
3: relax you don't need to be so upset
1: fucking Colin Robinson Mm.
3: very
2: updating something yeah one of my friends just started watching what we do in the shadows I was like oh good you got a lot to look forward to
1: it's so it's so fucking did you see this week's episode yet
2: yeah I watched it right before we started
1: yeah yeah it's fucking delightful (laughs) Guillermo the lid is stuck (laughs) Guillermo I need somebody to hold my hand to get down
2: I'm telling you, though, you gotta start watching. It's.
3: I explained to you that it's not available here.
2: It doesn't matter. Make it happen. Let's see what I can do. Uh, anybody watch anything this this week for the podcast? I did. Yeah, what did you
1: watch? <laughs> I I actually managed to watch two things. I'm assuming we're saving that for the what we watched portion of the show. Oh. <laughs> like from the,
3: from, you missed the whole show part of
2: the show No, no, no I meant, did anybody watch anything for the podcast this week? I was trying to segue into the movies we were doing but
1: Oh, you should have just pointed at me and screamed
2: Yeah, that would have been <laughs> Well, since you bring it up, why don't you tell us about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1978
1: Uh, So, the plot is very fucking similar to Invasion of the Body Snatchers that we reviewed last (laughs) week, if you heard that show. And by very similar, pretty fucking identical. Like, uh, it's instead of a doctor, he is a health inspector, which, what a weird fucking choice for a (laughs) protagonist. I don't Especially the fact that it's it's, uh, Donald Sutherland who kind of does really have this, like, uh, natural commanding presence.
3: Yeah. And he uses it, too. Yeah. He storms into those restaurants so proud to be able to shut them down.
1: And that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, health inspectors are usually arrogant pieces of shit, but they know they're health inspectors. Like, <laughs> they, they don't just get to swagger into your fucking restaurant because you can still be like, fuck you. <laughs>
2: The one health but, inspector yeah. I actually know is, is not an asshole, but that may not be yeah. uh, par for the course.
1: Right. I was going to say, like, but, but besides that, really, everything's pretty close, although it shows where the aliens come from in this one and confirms they're aliens rather than just.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and it adds this weird extra element of the pods uh, being little parasitic plants that grow on other plants, which I thought that was cool. Uh, in in the in the ending's quite a bit different Because it's, it's a 70s movie So it's got to have that Instead of the, ha oh, ha, the government's going to do it, it Instead the ending's like, nope, we're doomed <laughs> <laughs> Which
2: yeah, I I might uh, as well
3: have looked in the uh, camera and said Hey, if, if you're watching this The guy beside you has probably been infected
1: You're right
2: uh, Which uh, I read somewhere that they were They had agreed with the production company that they would film two endings, a super happy one, and then, you know, the super nihilistic one. And they didn't film the super happy one because they knew the studio would make them use it. So they only filmed the one that
1: we saw. In which, I'll tell you what, in retrospect of watching it, and maybe it's just because I've seen the movie before, Mm -hmm. I think the ending's a little weak. Mm -hmm. And I used to think it was a really powerful ending to a movie. And now I'm like, well, no, it's not like (laughs) it's it's got that 70s nihilism, but they're trying to do this thing where you think maybe he's faking it. And it's like, well, no, he's not. He's clearly not like, why would he do that? Why would he just (laughs) automaton (laughs) go through his day instead of just driving out of town very slowly?
2: You know. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I really liked this version. I've always liked this version. I guess. Um,
1: I was I gonna like say there's, it's
2: just... there's something much more lived in about this version that I enjoy, rather than I guess the clean cut like '50s version.
1: Yeah, yeah I, you definitely get. Uh, so, it, once again, those those '50 movies still have that theater style thing where. They almost just when they introduce a character, they're like, This is this character, and who this character is, the end. You know what I mean? <laughs> While in seventies movies and stuff, it's a little more nuanced and you dwell on characters and get to see a little bit of personality. And we've got the gold bloom. Yeah. I don't know how I forgot that. I completely forgot the fucking gold bloom was in
2: it. I didn't too until just as the credits were rolling, and I was like, Oh, it's right. I forgot he was in this.
1: Donald Donald Sutherland The Goldblum and fucking Leonard Nimoy This this shit's like So good So good And
2: Brooke Adams who when I was younger I used to confuse With Karen Allen all the time
1: no, Her being nude in this movie was weird To me for some reason Yeah I don't think she didn't do a lot of that right
2: uh, Not that I'm aware of
1: Yeah but, uh, I was gonna say, so this one does one thing that the other one doesn't do, which is a difference in the time. It shows what happens to the bodies mm-hmm. that like you yeah. collapse into this like husk,
3: and then they take that husk and they throw it in the garbage
1: right <laughs>
3: <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I love that they literally just put it in a garbage can, chase the truck down the street, toss it in there. problem solved. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and the the fact that every time you see the garbage truck, it's absolutely jam-packed full of those teeny tiny husk things. You're like, oh shit, this this is going real fast. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I know whenever I used to watch this, I was always so impressed with the subtle background stuff that was going on. You know what I mean? The weird looks and – the garbage trucks and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff that I think maybe you don't even notice the first time you would watch it. You'd notice it the second time. Mm-hmm. But then this time rewatching it, I was kind of like, man, they same thing with the ending. They telegraph certain things real bad. Like if you don't know Leonard Nimoy's character is a pod person. Almost immediately. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you. Like, because they do not do any good of going. Well, maybe uh, he is. Maybe he isn't. You know.
3: I actually, I actually, I have to disagree with you. I, I, think that they handle it really well. I just think that a, you know, already when you're watching it, like, and b, you watched the other version a week ago. Because, I, like, I think if you were watching this for the first time, that, that would not really be an issue. If you hadn't hadn't seen the original in 20 years and then you were watching this for the first time just as an average film goer in the theaters, just sitting there watching it, I I think. Because they don't spend a lot of time trying to trick you either, right?
1: Well, but they do a little bit. And once you hit the point where he goes into that back room with Goldblum and the the other chick and he's like, oh, there's no body back here. And they all come back and the window's open and you see a garbage truck loading the husk. It's like, well, clearly – Nimoy's character just went in there and and passed the thing out the window. I mean, it's it's blatantly obvious that's what happened, and they're like, and they're still trying to be like maybe he is maybe he is. I don't know. I, I don't think that's
3: obvious to an average film watcher on a first time watch. Again, having not recently seen the other film and basically knowing because this follows the other film so closely, I think it's pretty.
1: I don't know. I think it would have been that scene would have been much better if they did not intentionally draw your intention to the open window you know what i mean if if the camera just glossed over it and you see an open window and you see the garbage truck out there for a brief second, that would be a better fake out. Does that make sense because then it could be anything but they're like, oh, who opened this window? yeah, but then. And then the camera lingers on it long enough for you to like watch the dump truck loading stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, right, well, that's that's
3: ninety nine percent of film goers still are not going to pick up on that, even with the lingering impact. That's my take. You're you're forgetting that we're all film nerds who watch these things with an, a bit of an analytical eye and are looking for these flaws and trying to figure everything out. If you're I just know, a person, that's most. You would just be probably you'd probably figure out the garbage trucks were involved, like towards the end of the movie is my guess for an average just film goer in 1978.
1: You think you don't you don't think you would figure out that the garbage trucks are involved when the very first person who you blatantly know as a pod person immediately gets up in the morning and goes out and stands with the trash can for no reason. (laughs)
3: The first time I watched this movie this week, I didn't. Apparently, I'd never seen this before, by the way. I thought I had seen it before, hmm. but I've seen parts of it. I don't. Now, having watched it, I don't believe I've ever actually sat and watched it start to finish. Um, but yeah, like when you're talking about what Art Hindle's character does that at the beginning. No, I didn't really pick up on it. Now, I watched it yesterday and I watched it again today. Um, and it it is very obvious when you watch it twice in the same week what's going on. But to me, that's a sign of a good film is when you can pick up more things, watching it repeatedly. Maybe. Um, So
1: maybe, maybe I'm just overjudgmental from having seen this film a few times.
3: That's what I think is happening is I think you're applying that and not, you know, you've seen this movie a lot of times from the sounds of it and you watched the other one a week ago. So you know exactly what's going on. Keep in mind, a lot of people seeing this movie for the first time would never have seen the original or hadn't seen it in decades right I was I'll tell you
1: what I don't think I've ever realized before but holy shit it apes the original real close I didn't th- I never thought it was that close it,
3: it is extremely close it's kind of weird watching them a week apart and realizing like you are picking up on like you're literally like, okay that's that character that's that character they've modernized it in just the right ways. I think moving it to San Francisco is a really good idea. I think, you know, the health inspector thing versus the small town doctor, it probably does make more sense. Small town doctor is kind of like an outdated notion by the 70s. The idea that uh, Nimoy's character is like a famous psychiatrist is a very 70s thing because psychiatrists could get famous back then. I don't think there are any famous psychiatrists right now they didn't
1: uh i i kind of like the fact that so they they didn't change the plot they just recontextualized it through the entire movie until the very end and then once once we get to the point where uh the girlfriend is taken as a pod person then it kind of switches gears and it turns into a 70s movie
3: yeah but even it's just really that very ending that is the the difference right
1: Right, right. Well, we don't we don't get to see, in the original movie. We don't get to see uh, McCarty running around and burning down an entire building full of pot people and shit. Is what I am saying.
3: No, this yeah, this movie was it's a seventies movie, not a fifties movie, so they had the ability to kind of do things like that. Um,
1: you, you know, what's weird? Uh, another thing is, I remember this film having these great special effects, these great horror effects and rewatching it I was like there is one drop of blood in this entire movie
3: yeah there's it's not there's not a lot of great or the makeup effects on the bodies and stuff is fantastic but it's yeah,
1: not, The little tendril things are cool
3: yeah like it's not gory and like the opening the opening shots are great of like that stuff drifting through space and coming to earth and everything mm-hmm. it looks fantastic but it's not at all gory I think it it does a thing that they used to do in the seventies, which was they'd rely on your imagination to kind of fill in all those little details.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, cause I remembered it being violent, but not, uh, not like slasher gory or anything, but rewatching it, I was like, there's just the, the one scene, the one scene where he hits his clone in the face of the shovel. Yeah. And that's it. Like that's the end. There's no other big kill scenes or anything.
3: Well, and one of the horrifying things about the concept of these pod people taking over is this fact that they are doing it in a nonviolent manner and it allows them like when the people change, it allows them to just continue on with their day-to-day life because they're doing it. So kind of nonchalantly, that's what makes you think it could work that people wouldn't pick up on it right away. Hmm.
1: Having, having watched this and the other movie for this week, what do you guys prefer? Young, intense Donald Sutherland, or old, irresistibly charismatic Donald Sutherland?
3: Well, if you're trying to compare him to Tom Atkins, he was definitely more like Tom Atkins in the 78 movie than the 94. <laughs> with that fucking mustache and that fucking trench coat, <laughs> running around making out with his uh, own employees who are half his age.
1: On a scale of Tom
3: Atkins, how many Tom Atkins? Because <laughs> he's like six Tom Atkins in seventy-eight.
2: Yeah, yeah, young Dallas Island. If you watch this and then like don't look now, I think both of those performances are just fantastic.
3: I, in this movie, I literally think every performance is fantastic. Oh yeah, I think you know, like Goldblum is being Goldblum, but he's. Perfect, he's perfectly cast. I guess it's better casting than it is acting. Mm -hmm. Um, but he suits the role perfectly. I think Leonard Nimoy is great. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. people tend to think of him more as a director because of the success of Three Men and a Little Baby, but uh, as an actor, he's actually really good as well. So, um, yeah, just outstanding. Everybody's great in it. I think when they there's a lot of difficult things for the actors to do too, they have these like emotional breakdowns where it's just like they're right on camera just like falling apart and it all works and you know the the couple of characters who have to kind of serve dual roles as humans and then as pod people seem to be able to do that and they actually do kind of behave differently but not completely differently and it's a it's a subtle change and i kind of liked it Mm -hmm. oh yeah
1: I, I, you said subtle change, and all that went through my head is, we can't forget about human face Dog.
3: Okay, yeah, that one was less subtle. <laughs> that was a, a bit of 70s yeah. flair thrown in. Yeah, that was fantastic. I didn't mind it, though. <laughs> I, I had forgot about that. you
1: think that that would be something you would always remember on the rewatch. And man, it, it popped up, and I was like, whoa. The oh,
2: fuck? yeah no I completely forgot about it just when it popped up I was like "Ooh, no no
3: (laughs) it's so creepy and off putting (laughs) I don't know how they really made it look like that some poor dog had to sit in a makeup chair for
1: hours (laughs) yeah I was going to say I know you both go for young Donald Sutherland I gotta say I'm an old Donald Sutherland guy yeah there's just something. Uh, it's one of those weird things that there is not a good word to describe what he does in a movie. Like he has a resonance, like some kind of weird hippie vibrational energy or something.
3: No, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think his like his his presence and his energy in a film. He's just he kind of commands every scene he's in. And he just you can he's always seems to be playing an authority figure in his, as he got older and it's like yeah I can understand why everybody listens to that guy like right.
1: it's in the the pattern the, the that very distinctive pattern of his speech became more and more entrenched as he got older yeah and, I, and it's so effective he, he has it as a younger person in those movies but he doesn't deliver it with the effect he does whenever he's older
3: no I I And as he got older, I do think he kind of became, maybe maybe that's the the difference is he's Donald Sutherland when he's older as opposed to being, like, changing his uh, style depending on the character he's playing. He kind of just settled into being that guy. Which is fine because it it works in the types of movies he was doing by the 90s.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I go back and watch, like, this movie and I almost am just like, oh, shit, that's right, Donald Sutherland. He hasn't been anything in a while. I mean, he's obviously getting older, um, but I almost just forget like how good he is. At least you want to go back and rewatch a bunch of shit.
1: Always and always good is one of the, even Mm -hmm. whenever he's in like a bad movie, he's still. Yeah, he's never a problem. Yeah, he almost drags some bad movies out of mediocrity just from his presence.
3: Mm-hmm. He's, and he's definitely, especially as he got older he becomes one of those guys that you can just cast him in a relatively small part and not give him too much to do but he still creates that character just by being him mm-hmm. and that's something that I think is, it's a sign of like a, an iconic actor It's one they can do that
2: um, <laughs> also talking about the ending earlier I also read that uh uh so they kind of just made the ending up like they like, "Well, let's film this kind of stuff, this stuff, and then you know, I I'm, I have a really good idea for it and we'll do this, but nobody told Nancy Cartwright what the ending was." <laughs> so she just, "Hey, hey." And then comes walking over and he fucking did that like in front of her and she like oh lost God. her shit
3: that explains it because her breakdown is great. Yeah. When she just starts screaming, it's like, yeah, that- that explains it if somebody just started doing that to me i'd lose my mind too
1: i think the, the the funny thing is now whenever every time i rewatch it now of course because i know the ending the surprising part isn't him being a pod person it's that that character fucking survived again you're like how the fuck did she get out of
3: there right she's she's really good at faking it and just mixing in
1: she's a wily she is a wily uh, wily minx yeah
3: she said earlier in the film she'd gotten good at it you didn't believe her, but she was telling the truth.
2: <laughs> uh, so good. Yeah, I yeah, I really enjoy this movie. I'm so glad I got a chance to watch it. I haven't watched it in a long
3: time, so I got a I got a bold statement to make. Just to, I I'm gonna say that I think possibly the best horror remake of all time.
2: It's hard to argue. Uh, I saw somewhere, like in the trivia or something, someone said it's off. Often called the best horror remake of all time. I think it's definitely up there with The Fly and John Carpenter's The Thing, of course.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, it's got to be The Thing. But the, the difference between those movies and this movie is that those movies take a core concept and completely turn it on their head. Sure. Whereas this movie does a perfect job of updating the original story, of making the appropriate changes for the time period. Doing it in a way that is really clever, like the you know answering the questions about what happens to the body that we brought up last week, Mm. that maybe people wouldn't in the 50s wouldn't have asked that question, but people by the 70s they knew were, so they put in an answer, but they don't they don't change anything core to the story at all. They just give you the answer that you need. And it's a lot of it is just it's so smart the way they I think putting it in San Francisco is so smart because the instinct would be New York or L.A., right? Mm -hmm. That's what you do. That's what you do in movies. But for this particular story, San Francisco makes so much more sense because it's such a confined geographic area that would be so hard to get out of compared to those other places and so much more difficult to escape. And it it gives you that confined feeling the same way the small town did in the original. But here they're able to do it in a, a bigger more modern city. I think it I, I really really think it's super smart the way they did everything. I think they maintained the sense of dread from that 50s film but converted it into a, a 70s style. It's well shot, it's well directed, it's well acted, everything about it is like it's nearly perfect.
1: Yeah, I will say this with that caveat. With with the caveat of a remake that was Faithful to the original story rather than uh I don't even know what the the right word for that would be because it wouldn't be recontextualizing because that's what this uh, did. Reimagining? Yeah, some something like that. Completely like shuffling it and, and changing it. Hmm. Without doing that, this probably actually is the better. I oh don't
2: know, that Cabin Fever remake. <laughs>
3: To be the... fair, I haven't seen the Cabin Fever remake. So <laughs> I mean made a... either. Why did they make a
1: goddamn remake of Cabin
3: Fever?
2: Because uh, Eli Roth wanted to. I don't know. He wanted okay. to like produce it and have somebody else direct it, just as something fun to do to see how someone else would interpret the same idea I... or something.
1: But I don't. I don't know where me and Eli uh, Roth lost the <laughs> the thread. But, man, it uh, happened somewhere.
2: For me, it was, it was just, pretty early.
1: <laughs> I See, I was going to say, man, I loved so much of his, like, B-movie schlock crap. And I was like, man, this guy really knows this. And then all of a sudden, I don't, he got pretentious about schlock, which doesn't even make fucking sense. I don't even understand how those two things can coexist.
3: Well, they're not, they're not supposed to. And I think therein lies your problem with Eli Roth. Right, Ruff. right. I don't know. And now, like, they're
1: like, Eli Roth movie. I'm like, I roll. (laughs) I don't care. Fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck Dr. Mambo, too.
2: He did that uh, house with the clock in its walls or whatever. I kind of wanted to watch that, but I haven't had a chance.
1: I suppose that's different, though. That's like a big budget. Yeah. Yeah. Movie with Jack Black in it. (laughs) I don't have to. (laughs) I don't, I don't have to tamp down my horror uh, biases to watch that, I don't think.
2: Uh, so one of the things I noticed, I almost feel like this play is a lot like more of like a political thriller based on the time that it came out. Um, yep. Like if you think it's just like four years after Watergate and how suddenly it's about not trusting... People in power, stuff like that.
1: Ooh, and those those racial undertones are thick in this movie.
2: Yeah, and then if you look, the main uh, the main place where they're handing out the pods for people to take them and uh, head off to another part of the country is, of course, at city hall.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and that that does come from. The '50s film too; it was sort of
1: the yeah. uh,
3: the town town sheriff that had sort of become the leader of the pod people. Um, but it's certainly more emphasized in this uh, in this version, yeah. and I think that's that's on purpose. Oh, totally right. It's it's, it's clearly designed to play out like all those other uh, like you said political thrillers of the era. There was a
2: yeah. You can notice they uh, they try to do everything they can not to call the police throughout this movie. And then when they finally do, it's just like, well, we shouldn't have done that. And you I'm know. just like, well,
1: okay, yeah, that makes total sense.
3: I wonder if that message will still play in 2020. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I was going to say, one, one thing you cannot help but notice after you've rewatched this a few times, all of the main characters who are pod people are white people. And to every single person who is a background person who is a pod person, is not. Mm. Almost entirely. Up up until the end. The ending's different, but that's because it's all of his co-workers and stuff, right? Yeah. But you've got like the Asian family and then the uh the cameo with uh, McCarty where they beat him to death. Mm-hmm. Whatever it pans across, it's almost all scowling black people. Almost all. Mm. And you're like, ah <laughs> there it is. There's that <laughs> that weird racial undertone that i didn't like
2: Yeah, i was kind of hoping they would make uh, this version a little bit more ambiguous as if it was a remake so that you could just have that question if mccarthy's playing the same character from the first one he's just traveled further upstate and like nobody's <laughs> listening to him
3: he's been oh. running around for 20 years yelling at cars yeah. on the highway <laughs> I, see, I, I totally, because
1: uh, I'm a comic book person, to me, this is like a total Earth 2 thing. So his mm. story did happen. It just happened in San Francisco. And that's where the two stories bump into each other.
3: That makes as much sense as anything. <laughs> I was just glad his hair was starting to go white, so I recognized him this time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I mean, it was it was pretty spot on having him yelling lines from the previous movie, but it was a nice little touch. (laughs) I I did like the idea of it. um, And I know it's kind of accidentally alluding to this, but the idea that other people are going through the same thing, like, yeah, we're following Donald Sutherland's character, but there's other (laughs) people who have been through this as well throughout the town. And that's so at the end, when you see the sheer numbers and you start to see like, oh, they're now they're loading up full on ships with like, you know, loading equipment and not just handing out stuff to from a a local farm. It's like, yeah, it feels so much bigger. And part of the reason for that is we know that this has happened to other characters as well, that they've gone through the, the process of experiencing it, figuring it out and, you know, losing their minds as a result. And maybe that also helps, I think subconsciously knowing that other people have gone through this, you sort of assume throughout most of the movie that Donald Sutherland's character must be the one that solves everything, and that's why we're following his story as opposed to following the story of the McCarthy character, who obviously was unsuccessful at fixing the problem, because that tends to be how movies work. The main character tends to be the, the guy that solves the problem. And then when he doesn't at the end, that's when you remember that this movie was made in the 70s and we're not allowed to have anything resembling a heavy ending.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Fuck no. It's got to be nice and dark. Yeah. Uh, Any favorite scenes or anything before we move on?
1: Uh, Aside from all of the random performances in this that are great. So uh, McCarty doing his cameo. He, mm. I, I don't know how good actors are at resummoning previous performances like that, but it, it's incredible. Like, I don't know, it's like identical. He's doing an identical performance. Yeah, <laughs> that many years later, right? Uh, but oh, the rooftop uh, multiple pod baby Ooh. birth scene, yeah. yeah
2: fucking smashes so, one of them with a rake
1: oh man I, I'm just saying that that horrible pod baby oozing out of that pod is like mm-hmm. fuck yeah like, <laughs> like, like that's, that's so good that's such especially since you don't hardly get any of that type of thing through the whole movie and then you get that one scene that's just so fucking intense mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I read apparently Stephen King said that uh the scene where he busts that one his own pod person or whatever, where he destroys its face with a rake. He thinks is one of the most disturbing things in the movie. So good.
1: I like and once again they did the same moment where he goes to hit her double first and he can't do it.
2: Yeah. Uh so good. So if you haven't watched yeah. it, you should.
3: I think it's worth noting, too, that if you get a chance to watch it twice in a row, you do start to notice a lot of the little subtle things, like certain shots in that that are excellent that aren't necessarily those bigger moments. Like, there is the scene, like, when when the final chase is going on, there's a scene where they jump in a cab, and it's not immediately clear whether the cab driver is a pod person or not, and he's sort of talking into his CV. And he's like, get yeah, picked up too on the way to the airport, and he mumbles something. And you're like, What did he fucking mumble? See, a pod probably, <laughs> it really catches you, it drags you into those moments. And there's just some like, some of the shots are just fantastic when there's like, like where Goldblum's character leaves them behind and he runs up the street. And then there's just these like silhouettes of all these fucking pod people that come in between them and him. And all of a sudden you just, you can't see him anymore. He's just gone in this crowd. And you're like, Oh shit. Like that's so well done. And it's just, it's subtle little things like that, that I think elevate this film, you know, in addition to all the cool special effects and all that other stuff that helps.
1: I like it. Uh, I like the subtle shift in tone from the 50s one to this one where so the 50s one, it has this insinuation where it's like kind of this like slow, methodical replacement of people. And then, you know, it's been going on for a week and this, you know, smaller town slowly been getting taken over while this one, it feels like. Uh, part of the fear comes from the speed. You know what I mean? Like that opening scene with all those kids grabbing the pods and you're like, holy shit, like this whole town's going to be replaced in two days, you know, and there's no stopping it. It's already, it's, uh, for a a terrible thing to compare it to since we're going through a fucking pandemic. I mean, just imagine like you can see it spreading and all those people are infected and they're getting ready to go home and infect their families and, (laughs)
3: Yeah. yeah it's um and I think you know that ties into what I was saying previously about how this same story is happening to a bunch of people simultaneously throughout San Francisco at this one time and we're just following one of the stories but when you realize how many people this has happened to it's just yeah there, there is no possible happy ending to the story and I kind of like that
2: uh, all right. Well, we decided to team this up with another Donald Sutherland, sort of body snatcher movie. Uh, 1994's The Puppet Masters. Doug, you want to run down what The Puppet Masters is about?
3: Um, yeah. The aliens crash to Earth. Um, turns out they're these weird, gross slug thingies that climb on your back and tie into your nervous system and take over you. Um, hence, Puppet Masters. Donald Sutherland is the head of some secretive government agency. Him and his son, who's like one of the top guards, are sent in to investigate. They basically start figuring out what's going on, start trying to stop it. It's uh, It turns out it's one of these deals where all of the little gross worm thingies are part of one big collective. So they've got to eventually go in and uh, kill the main one in order to take out all of them. And uh, that's why they need Keith David, because he's he's badass enough to pull that off. So (laughs) (laughs) they gather him up on the head in and uh, it plays out very much like, yeah, it just reminded me of like Outbreak, but with an alien invasion instead of a virus. You keep cutting back to, like, the boardroom where they're trying to figure out the next plan and the next move. And then you go in and you're like, okay, how are the troops on the ground doing? And it's like, oh, shit, all the troops on the ground are infected now. They weren't infected last time we checked in on them. (laughs) It's like – so it very much plays out that way. True, uh,
1: True story. The first time I saw this was completely by accident. I went to the local video store where my parents had uh, a standing order where I was allowed to rent horror movies, so I could rent terrible, (laughs) god awful R rated stuff, and no one could stop me. Yeah, yeah, my parents were delightful. I love them so much. I
3: love the 80s where it was just like you want smokes or booze or something, just get your dad to tell the teller it's okay once, and then you're allowed to do that anymore.
1: Yep, and I was in fact attempting to rent Puppet Master. And somebody at the video store had shelved it wrong. And none of us noticed because, I mean, the titles are so fucking close, it would. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, from from my – that's the only time I've ever seen this, by the way. And I completely forgot fucking Keith David was in this movie. When Keith David popped up, I was like, oh, fuck yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> this movie just got so much better.
3: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: this is the first time watch for me. I've never seen it before.
3: All right, so let's uh, let's get your first impressions then, Brent. Uh,
2: I will say I did not enjoy it. Oh, really? Yeah. The uh, thing that bummed me out, I guess, is that I feel like we see all the bureaucracy side, and we don't see the fun like invasion side, which is what I wanted to see. Um, sort of when the movie opens Meteorite falls a bunch of boys go check it out and then suddenly the entire town is just taken over you don't really see like the fun part of it where people are finding out that people have been taken over and yeah, basically just all the fun stuff that we saw in the two uh, Body Snatcher movies so far and uh, I feel like it's just the government comes in uh, be like, oh, there's some weird shit We have this little stingray thing And then they go back to Washington And just deal, do uh y stuff well, what, about about the about. Part,
3: what about the part Where they put one of those thingies on a monkey And then they watch it reproduce And then they put the one it reproduced on another monkey Just to see what would happen oh, <laughs> You don't that, like all
2: that? It bummed me out I felt bad for the monkeys I'm just like, oh, they're doing this on purpose Poor monkeys
3: when they get when they have the, the one character who is um, he's he's actually had one on him, but he's the only guy in the movie who's had one on him and managed to get it off. Mm-hmm. And then they put that one on the monkey and <laughs> the monkey goes over the little thing and it types up and it says, do you miss us? And that creepy little monkey eyes are looking over <laughs> the top table at him. <laughs> I thought that was a fucking awesome moment.
1: <laughs> I was The best moment of this entire movie was uh, a line I used to quote incessantly. And I think over time I forgot where the line came from and then forgot about the quote entirely. And that was, you shot me. <laughs> and he's like, I, I didn't think you could shoot me. And he's like, you would have done the same thing. And he goes, oh, I know I would have shot you. I just didn't think you could have shot me.
3: <laughs> That's awesome. I think the thing with this movie and I think you're you're alluding to it Brian is that whereas the other movie was so very very 70s mm-hmm. this movie is so very very
2: early oh, 90s it like, totally is
3: and it's and I think like for me like there's a nostalgia factor involved in that mm-hmm. and there's you know I, I enjoyed a lot of the stereotypical characters and the whole like the whole thing where like the badass guy is like I have to go save the girl that i have a crush on and they're like it's a suicide mission think with your head i'm sick of thinking with my head i've got to go think with my gut and they're all like like i enjoyed watching all that happen even though it's it's questionable at best whether it was, <laughs> you know like it shouldn't it shouldn't have worked um but whatever
1: do you, you guys like, hey, know any of the the stories about the uh production issues with getting this story made into various movies no, no. So, so it's based off of a book that was written in the 1950s and so they go to make this movie and before it I'm trying to think another movie was supposed to be made and then oh, what the fuck is it? They made another movie that basically has this exact plot like this exact plot. Somebody stole that dude's plot and made it into another movie and he sued him and he sued him for $150,000, but he ended up, like, having to settle out of court for, like, $5,000. He got virtually nothing. And because that movie got made, the production of The Puppet Masters, which was supposed to be made, got canceled because they didn't want to make it because it was too similar <laughs> to the movie that did get made, which was a ripoff of it before it was ever made. There's a bunch. Of, there's a bunch of craziness with this book. They've tried to remake it again, I think, several times, and it always there always ends up being some kind of a problem with it.
3: Huh, that's interesting. I kind of want to watch the other movie version of it, too, though.
1: I cannot. I bet if you look it up on Wikipedia, I bet it's got it. I cannot remember what the name of the movie that ripped it off was.
3: I, know, I might look into that, because I, like, I enjoyed this story. It's the basic body snatcher story, just through a 90s filter. Um, I liked a lot of what this movie did. I liked when there was, uh, when they had to carry around more than one slug and the guys would take their shirts off and they'd have the one on the back that's attached to them. And just a couple of more just hanging off of them. Thought that was cool. I liked watching when the slugs would be like on their own and like scurrying across the floor. And they're all like chasing it around the building. <laughs> Thought that was always fun. The whole thing with like Donald Sutherland just yelling at all his employees to take their shirts off. Cause He's got a chunk if they. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. Did you guys think it was weird
1: that so this movie starts with a pretty uh, ominous tone to it, right? With those kids like hitting that dude with the fucking uh, baseball yeah. bat or whatever, and you're like, oh yeah. And then the government agents show up, and yeah, you know they're making a couple little jokes, but it's X Filesy, and it's still dark and then they get in and we get we find the first slug and it's got its horrible little barb that it shoots and you're like oh shit these things are crazy and the very first thing they do with it is have it shoot that ceiling fan gets swung around like like it's a goddamn Bugs Bunny cartoon and you're like that that just completely fucked up the tone of this
3: i don't know what's happening right now i told you it was the 90s what more do you want uh,
2: the movie was called the brain eaters 1958 it was produced by Roger Corman.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that Roger Corman was involved. Sounds about right. But, yeah, I think, I think the biggest... Because I don't have... I honestly don't have a lot of complaints about this movie. I think some of the acting in it could be better. Because when you have Donald Sutherland and Keith David in a movie fucking chewing up scenery... Everyone else, had better be on their A-game or they turn into fucking shitty B-movie crap actors, you know what I mean?
2: Uh, we should also mention Richard Belzer, which I just, I was pretending he was playing uh, Detective Munch, the character he played on like
1: oh, yeah, yeah, 50
2: yeah. TV shows. Uh, yeah, Koto's in this too. He doesn't get a lot of screen time though, which is a bummer. Uh, Andrew Robinson from Hellraiser fame, but he doesn't have a whole lot to do either.
1: Yeah, but I was going to say, it's weird. There's this disconnect in this movie of it's set up to be a big budget uh, alien invasion movie with what it really is is a body snatcher B movie. <laughs> yeah. It,
3: maybe that's the problem. With, maybe...
2: If, For me, it just has that 90s, like, gloss on it. Right. That's kind of boring. It
3: definitely does, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think think if it would have been cleaner, it would have been a better movie. And if it would have been dirtier, it would have been a better movie. Like, I I feel like they tried to move through that middle ground and it just lost something.
2: Oh, plus I forgot. It was co-written by David Goyer, one of Noah's favorite screenwriters
3: fucking David Glare. So you, you guys want to know a fun fact? To tie everything together, the Brain Eaters has Leonard Nimoy in it.
2: Ooh. There we go.
1: Oh, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the, no, that's the one with the pipe cleaner monsters. <laughs> it doesn't say that in any of the
3: marketing materials oh, for the Brain Eaters. Well, hold, hold on. I'm working on it. I think I'm going to have to try to track that one down, so...
2: Ooh, it takes place in a small Illinois town. Did everybody leave to go look this up?
3: I didn't. I'm here. No. I'm, I'm working on it. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> I was, I was going to do all this work, and then he's going to send you and I a picture of these monsters that will not benefit the listeners at all, but he feels he needs to do this on on air, so... Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I I see everything you're saying, Brian, about this movie being a... Uh, mm-hmm having that 90s gloss to it, kind of like it would be better if it had a little less of a budget Yeah, and it, they were forced to kind of rely more on on uh, I don't know, like rely more on their, the atmosphere and stuff, and they don't have to. They have just enough of a budget to put in the action sequences when they want to, so it leaves you wanting more. Yeah. Uh, but I I don't know. I, I guess I just enjoy these like, I feel like in this. It, this is from the era when I would have been riding my bike to the video store to rent direct-to-video horror films, and this is one I would have picked up, even though it probably doesn't technically qualify as direct-to-video. But I would. I, that's when I would have seen it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I was kind of bummed. I was hoping uh, that it would uh, stand out amongst some of the uh, body snatcher movies we were talking about, but well, didn't uh, do it for me. And I feel oh, like no, the, main, I, the main guy is like a, a poor man's Tim Daly, which is weird because Tim Daly is kind of a poor man's Tim Daly.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I, that main actor is the, I don't even know his name. It's weird. Cause I know, recognize so many people around him in the movie, but it's like, he should not be a leading man in a movie like this. He should yeah. be a leading man in some movie. That's just, you know, nothing but blow up action scenes. Yeah. And it, it's problematic, um, but it's pretty standard for the 90s. Like, I'm not surprised that he was given the leading man role in this. I just don't agree with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I I feel like if you don't like this, don't try to watch any of these types of movies from that era because most of them are not any better. Snow <laughs> yeah. so is still no. gone. I'm working on it.
2: You don't need to work on it.
3: No, it's, you know what? Go ahead. You work on it. We'll continue to discuss
1: it's very important that you guys see how terrible these creatures are.
3: <laughs> there. I'm not looking just to upset you.
1: They, they are they are literally the uh, – if you go to like an arts and crafts store, the little moss balls that you can buy, it's those with pipe cleaners jammed into them. <laughs> and and by literally, I mean literally. I've, I've seen a documentary about the making of this. And they were just like, ah, fuck it, ah.
2: It's Roger Corman, I'm not surprised.
1: They they look like little testicles with worms sticking out of their head.
2: Well, that just is going to make Doug run right over to take a look at it. Yeah. Uh, Do you guys have any favorite uh, scenes or anything? Uh,
1: I really, I really, really enjoy the... uh, The scene where they're getting ready to have sex and she's clearly been infected you know while he was in the other room and (laughs) he's not picking up on the fact that every time he like tries to touch her anywhere that his hands would go near her back she keeps stopping him he's (laughs) like rub your back she's like no touch my boobs and then he's like take off your shirt I'll take off my shirt
3: (laughs) that was a super fun scene even though it's ridiculous and cheesy in 90s um, but I don't know it, it's just fun to watch it the whole and that like that whole plot line of like he literally meets her and they treat her like she's like this sex goddess like she keeps commenting on how like she knows people are being mind controlled cuz they don't try to look down her shirt and it's like she's not it's not like she's like you know Double D's Long blonde hair Wearing nothing But a lab coat Type scientist She looks more Like a typical scientist In like Business attire She's like And they play her up Like this sex object I think it's hilarious
1: Trying to think Of what else Oh Donald Sutherland Torturing his own son That's pretty wild
3: Yeah when When they shocked That alien Off the guy's back When they used like The electrical impulses Or whatever I thought that was A pretty effective scene I liked all the stuff with the monkeys. Huh? That made me so happy to watch those little monkeys squirming around with those things stuck to their backs. It's, it probably was cruel and they probably shouldn't have done it, but I liked it.
1: I thought another thing that threw me off so I thought that the creatures looked really, really good and all the special effects involving the creatures were really, really good, including the Looney Tunes esque swinging around the yeah. room by the fucking ceiling fan. And and you go through this entire movie of that where you're like, okay. And then they get to the mothership or whatever the fuck that thing is. Yep. And all of a sudden, it looks straight out of like a star uh, 1960s Star Trek episode.
3: Yeah, like the weird like doorway things that were opening and closing when they were getting in and out of it. Right. I still don't even really understand. And they were trying to say it was like organic, but it didn't seem organic to me.
1: Right and it no. looked like uh styrofoam that had been spray painted like green. Yeah. Yeah,
3: which is not organic to me. So we're saying the same thing. Yeah, no it it was bad. And it was just I think it's what Brian was alluding to is like the the lack of budget and they were trying to do something bigger than what they were capable of doing. Became very obvious when they got to that sort of climactic stuff and you're like, well that's that's never going to work. Mm-hmm.
1: They're like, damn it, we blew all of our, <laughs> our uh, special effects budget, bringing in Keith David.
3: <laughs> he's good in this movie. I liked him, actually. He's uh, His performance is strong because he's kind of <laughs> like likable in between, but then he just switches over to badass mode as soon as he puts on his gear and heads out into the field. I was
1: going to say one of the funny things is the second I saw him and realized he was in this movie, I was trying to, like, rack my brain from whenever I had seen it previously and be like, is there a uh, weirdly long fight scene with Keith David? Because that seems to be the hallmark of
3: <laughs> Keith David action movies. There kind of is, actually, at the end. No, there,
1: there is. Yeah. We're, <laughs> and he's got, like, instead of one parasite, he's got, like, eight parasites all over <laughs> his body.
3: Yeah. It's... It's a little bit of a different fight scene, but it's, yeah. He's the only one that can take, like, multiple of them on him at a time and not get taken over.
2: Uh, I did remember seeing something about how they sort of tried to make this, like, the the super group of, like, alien uh, body snatcher movies, where uh, you have, of course, Donald Sutherland from Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Keith David from The Thing... Uh, it's not a body snatcher movie. Yafakoto Koto from Alien. They're just trying to like grab all these people and put them in one alien body snatcher movie.
3: I was trying to do the math in my head to try to figure out if Keith David could be the character from the Thing, and it's just like he made it back and now he's joined this this you know squad of guys who goes around fighting other alien invasions.
1: We can only hope so.
3: Because right away when, like, his name shows up in the opening credits, and then I'm, like, watching for him, and then, of course, like, the group of military badasses comes in, and he's, like, the leader, and he pulls down that mask so you can see his face. I'm like, of course that's the role he's playing. (laughs) He's not going to be one of the scientists, that would be ridiculous.
1: Were you guys worried that Keith David and Donald Sutherland would talk at the same time on screen and that it would rip a hole in
3: the universe? <laughs> that's that's the implementation of the singularity that causes all downfall of humankind. <laughs> I, I figured they knew better. I'm surprised they even let them in the same room, to be honest. I was like, that'd just be
1: too much fucking charisma. Just too, too much <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, all right anything else
3: no it sounds like we all saw the same movies just no and I enjoy this type of movie more than Brian does is that a reasonable yeah. thing to say yeah it seems so oh. yeah I, I mean I think if you're if you you know fondly remember early 90s medium budget horror you'd probably enjoy this If the, mm-hmm. if, if you're not part of that exclusive group maybe this isn't for you
2: Hmm. But you, mean, you mean i shouldn't go watch phantoms with ben affleck probably
3: not and and i don't appreciate you trying to trick me into saying the line either
1: <laughs> is it is the line i can't believe you shot me <laughs>
0: thanks for calling the midnight drive-in no one is here to take your call for info, check out The Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at mndrive Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling.
2: Uh, all right. So, what did everybody watch since last week?
1: Uh, I actually watched two things for the first time in weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, I was in the mood for a cannibal movie, so I rewatched uh, the Parents.
2: Oh yeah, with, uh, okay.
1: with with old Quaid the Ugly. Oh,
2: <laughs> uh, Randy Quaid. Has anybody heard anything about him lately? He, uh, I don't know.
1: Don't you guys don't you guys miss when he wasn't a fucking crazy person?
3: Yeah, yeah. When he acted like a crazy person instead of being a crazy person, it was more fun.
1: Yeah, it's so upsetting because man, he was so good.
3: His performance uh, in Parents is outstanding. Right. I, I mean, just I think.
2: I mean it's probably no styrofoam cup, but you know, <laughs> right.
1: I think I like parents a little bit more every time I watch it. I think my biggest complaint is I wish there would have been a little more uh, light with Randy Quaid's dialogue in the first half of the movie. Because through through the bulk of that movie, they actually do a pretty good job of convincing you that maybe the kid's really just like the kid's crazy. There's something wrong with him. like. He's just a vegetarian who doesn't like meat so he views everything as awful and uh, but a few you know a few of Randy Quaid's lines kind of give up the ghost that something is going on. The biggest one's the leftovers lines mean what are we what are we having for dinner Leftovers yeah but leftovers of what <laughs> Leftovers. Yeah, but what were they before they were leftovers? They were leftovers to be.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I never saw this movie without knowing exactly what the the, the quote-unquote secret was. So I don't know if they could have fooled me ever. It's hard to say. Well, I've actually never seen it before, so... Uh really
2: they're eating, they're eating yeah. the people in it what? spoiler <laughs> no, i figured that i remember the uh vhs cover i remember seeing it a lot but i just never rented it
1: it's it's really cool in the fact that like i said it leads you it really did not a perfect job obviously but it does do a really good job of making you think okay this kid's like fucked up like at one point in the movie, he walks in on his parents in the bedroom and his mom comes up and it looks like maybe she has blood smeared on her face. Mm-hmm. But what's clearly obviously going on is he walked in on his mother, giving his dad a blowjob and she's got lipstick smeared all over her face. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, shit like that. It's it's just weird. And then of course you know he's all weird and awkward and
3: yeah. It's like the moral of the story is that if your parents are cannibals, you'll probably grow up awkward and strange, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the fact that the, it's it's interesting that the idea of the of the horror in the movie is, besides the fact that they really are cannibals, it's just that you kind of view your parents as being these weird. Alien people who who don't fit into the world. I don't. It, it just makes sense to me, especially since the '50s aesthetic. I've always found it creepy. Like even le- like watching Leave It to Beaver, they're serial killers. That whole family fucking kills people. <laughs> oh yeah, and the fucking slacker
3: neighbor kid too.
1: Right, right. Every fucking one of them. Everything in the '50s was a weird serial killers daydream i don't i don't understand any of it but it's still good highly recommend if you haven't seen it brian watch that shit
2: yeah i know i think <laughs> they put it out on blu-ray as part of the uh, Vesteron line from lionsgate
3: they, they did
1: the version i watched was actually the yeah. Vestron nice
3: but it's available to stream for free if you're not it is, spend money to see
1: it. Well, the Vestron, the Vestron version is on Tubi, so it's the Restore. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. Better version. Yep. Uh, and then I got done watching that, and I was looking for another cannibal movie, and I couldn't really find one because I was kind of wanting to watch uh, uh, Slave of the Cannibal God, but I couldn't find it. So instead, I ended up watching uh, – now I'm going to forget the name of the fucking movie, Maggie. The Arnold Schwarzenegger one with the zombie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: I like that one a lot. I like it a lot. I feel like the ending shat the bed a little bit.
3: Yeah, yeah I haven't seen it in a while, so... Just kinda, I, I, don't, I own I don't a know. digital I don't wanna,
2: copy of it, and I've never watched it.
3: Yeah, I don't
1: want to, like, spoil the ending just because it's a newer movie and it's a B-movie, so maybe people haven't seen it, but... Essentially, the entire plot of that movie is just Arnold Schwarzenegger has a daughter. There's a zombie plague. She's been bitten. That's the entire plot of the movie. It's just them in a house, and they know eventually she's going to turn and become a danger to everyone. But he does not want to have to kill his daughter, and he doesn't want to – they have these – uh, they call them quarantine camps, but apparently it's very much Nazi fascist. You send your infected people there, and they kill them, and kill them apparently in a very horrible, painful way. They inject them with some chemical that kills them. Hmm. But it's I don't know. It, it, my my problem is, is this: it's one of those movies that teeters on the edge of a genre on such a razor's edge. I don't think this is a horror movie. No.
3: It's a it's a zombie drama. I I mean I just
1: I I just couldn't. Like if somebody if somebody asked me what shelf to put that movie on and they said it's a zombie movie, it goes in horror, I'd be like, No. <laughs> no don't put it on that fucking shelf. It does not deserve to be there with all these great horror movies. I,
3: I like the movie a lot. I think it's um the acting is good in it, which is shocking to say when it's like a Schwarzenegger movie. There's only a couple of moments where you sort of realize, Oh yeah, right, he's not that good of an actor, but he's pulling it off for the purposes of the movie. And I liked the relationship between the characters. So I that whole idea of a father and daughter spending their last few days together when she we know she's infected and know she's gonna turn, they have like a time frame, don't they? So they kinda know exactly how much time they have.
1: Yeah. yeah yes.
3: So yeah, so it's it's really effective and creepy and sad and I like it.
1: Sad, sad's the best way to describe it. It is a uh, uh, trudge. Yeah, it's not it's not the road bad. Well, okay.
3: <laughs> just, if that's going to be your standard, I mean, come on.
1: I would dare say it's not requiem for a dream bad. Uh, but it is, it is up there uh, in the, uh, oh, that's fucking depressing. I don't know. I feel like once again, I'm not going to spoil how it ends, but I, don't, I feel like they, they chickened out. If that makes that ending's too easy.
3: Yeah, but I don't think you would want the stereotypical ending either. So yeah, I don't think I, I
1: don't think I want that. I don't know. Like I said, I don't. I, I don't have a good way to verbalize my complaint without spoiling the ending, and I don't want to spoil the ending.
3: There,
1: so yeah, so I would, I would call it something like I'm eighty percent positive on it. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's mm-hmm. totally worth a watch. I would say anybody who's into zombies or dramas or sad movies <laughs> should watch it. If you're looking <laughs> the for end of sad movies. Some people are into sad shit. I, I personally, I gotta really be in a fucking mood usually to, to get through one, because it's just too fucking depressing.
2: Hey, how you doing, Noah? Oh, pretty good. Do you want to watch the road? Oh, holy shit, Noah's depressed.
1: <laughs> you know? Do you know what my answer to that would be? <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's done. That's a one. That's a one-time movie. You've seen it.
3: <laughs> Your That's kid's a bit of a difficult watch.
1: Yeah, the kid the kid gets to drink some Coca Cola. It's great. It's a Good time. It's like Re- Requiem for a Dreams, the same way. People are like, you want to watch it? Nope, seen it. <laughs> and I don't want to ever watch that movie with another human being. <laughs> I feel like Requiem for a Dream is a movie that you're meant to watch while alone. And crying and like I don't and just eating something horrible for you, just a whole carton of ice cream out of a fucking tub.
3: It's, you just described it as the perfect breakup movie for a fourteen-year-old girl. Yeah, th-
1: no, but it is the opposite because that girl will fucking kill herself. you <laughs> <Like that was, laughs> would be ended by that movie. This is
2: another movie I've never seen because of. Such comments like that. I'm like, I don't think I ever need to see this.
3: Yeah, I've I've never seen that one. It's...
1: It is... It has a great story. A great premise. It's shot very, very well. And it kills a piece of your soul. (laughs) Yeah. And you will... Is start to hate certain people because you see people like making jokes about it where they're going like ass to ass and you're like no not funny like like yes funny line if it wasn't in this movie in this movie mm, bad
3: bad line
2: i <laughs> don't know maybe it'll forever stay on my i did not see it list
3: see everything noah just said makes it being added to my to-watch list. I'm just like, oh, man, that's, I should get around to that one. It's been...
1: I mean, like I, I I 100% think it's worth watching that movie once because it is an incredibly well-made movie. It's just the type of movie that you can't. Like, once you watch it that once, you're done. You never need to see that movie again. Maybe I'll watch it. Maybe I won't. And that's it. Other than watching the new "What We Do in the Shadows,"
2: I was going to cool. say, "Come on, it was pretty fantastic."
1: <laughs> it's always fantastic.
2: Yeah, it has a nice little callback to the movie, though, which made me so happy.
1: Yeah, a nice callback to the movie, and I love, I love their uh, their fantastic subtle vampire references they do. Like that, the whole episode's a um, Anne Rice thing. I don't know mm. if you know that or not. Hmm. there's a th- there's a, a, the theater of vampires in the Anne rice books
2: oh okay and this no is
1: the new theater
2: <laughs> no they did a great job like when they sort of wrap because this is the season finale as far as i can tell um when they sort of wrap everything up you kind of are just sitting there and be like Oh yeah, the season's been good, but I didn't really think much about like the through line. But now that they've sort of like lined all this up in the season finale, you're just like, Oh, holy shit. They they were doing this fucking great overarching story and how it gets all wrapped up in this last episode and I didn't even notice. So it's it was so good this season and yeah, this last episode was was a great one. Their,
1: so. their comedy timing Mm. is uh otherworldly sometimes because the last the last two lines of the last episode of I I think this is probably the end of the season I agree with you better it's a mid-season yeah but uh
2: well it's the 10th episode I think they do 10 episode seasons
1: well it's just you know, one one character, I'm not going to spoil it for everybody, but one character sticks the landing and kind of delivers a badass line. And then immediately somebody just says something dumb and asshole. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: and
1: it's so it's because you think that's the end. Do you think that one liner is going to be like, oh, yeah, but no, nope, no. Nope, they they stab you with that <laughs> one last joke.
2: So good. So good. Uh, if anybody's holding off uh They should start My friend just started watching the first season and I'm just like oh You're so lucky you get to watch it From
1: the beginning I'm just saying just Just the fucking cameos are worth it mm-hmm. I'm fucking Mark Hamill and Nick Kroll And fucking uh, Who else is in there
2: Uh Well the vampire uh Vampire Council. Yeah, Vampire Council oh, yeah, yeah, last the, season yeah. is just like a plethora of cameos where they're all playing themselves as vampires and you're just like, "Well, this is like the best thing ever because that makes total sense."
1: I love the fact that not so not only are they there playing themselves as vampires, then they have like Wesley Snipes skyping in and then they make a bunch of holy jabs at other people who could have been there that didn't say yes
2: <laughs> well and i love that wesley snipes is like on like a 30 second delay because he's on skype so he'll just randomly chime in in the middle of something that they were talking about like 30 seconds ago <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, and I love the fact that so t- that Tilda Swinton isn't playing Tilda Swinton's character from The Only Lovers Left Alive. Nope. She's playing Tilda Swinton is a vampire and was in <laughs> The Only Lovers Left Alive. <laughs> so good. And of course, Paul Rubens.
2: Yeah, basically playing his Buffy character.
1: <laughs> right. Ah, fuck. <sighs> That show fucks me up. It's too funny.
2: <laughs> well, what did you watch, Doug? That obviously it's not going to be nowhere near as funny as what we do in the shadows.
3: No, I feel like everything I say is going to be a letdown now. <laughs> um, see, for, um, I needed a long movie to watch because it's quarantine time, and sometimes you just need to kill a larger part of your evening than you're used to having to kill. <laughs> Um so I watched the movie Chaplin from like 92. It's just oh, yeah. Robert Downey Jr as Charlie Chaplin. I had seen that since like probably when it was new. But I does, remember liking it back then.
2: Does he uh does it show him flying around his workshop trying to perfect the Charlie Chaplin suit that he's making?
3: Uh, yeah, pretty much. Oh. <laughs> it's not it's not quite like that, but there is like it is one of those biopics that has like a a bit of cinematic flair to it so there's a moment where he's like you see him picking out all the different costume things and then there's like just like a glowing light and he goes over there and there's a little mustache and he puts that on <laughs> and, you know so yeah effectively it has it has that scene to it um <laughs> it it does a lot of the i, I had mentioned when i talked about uh, galaxy quest a couple weeks ago about how they hmm. did the thing where even when the movie was supposed to be in real life, they still shot it kind of like Star Trek to kind of remind you what they were aping. Mm-hmm. And they do that with Chaplin a lot. They have scenes where it's like, we need to fast forward his uh, this part of the story and like kind of let you know what happened, but we don't have time to dwell on it. So they just kind of skip along and uh, they play it out in a very Chaplin-esque way in order to proceed the storyline. And it's kind of funny where you see him doing things that would have happened to him in real life, but doing them almost in the manner that it would have been done in one of his films. So that was kind of enjoyable. Um, Really glosses over a lot of the underage sex stuff, which is (laughs) problematic to say the least Um, or or not problematic. If you don't have a problem with it, because it's interesting how
2: many, uh, how many biopics kind of do that.
3: Well, it, it's tough because I mean I don't know what morality was in like the 20s and you know like in Chaplin's case specifically like he married a lot of underage girls and I'm like I don't even understand how that's legal and there's actual conversations where like the the guy playing J. Edgar Hoover is like, oh man, if you would just sleep with these girls, we could nail them for statutory rape, but then he marries them. And I'm like well that doesn't make any sense To me I don't get it (laughs) I don't understand how it can be illegal to sleep with a girl But legal to marry her and then sleep with her (laughs) Like she's too young To be making the kinds of decisions that result in having sex But you know she's old enough to get married That's fine That seems contradictory to me I don't know why Yeah
2: Yeah, like If you watch like Grey Balls of Fire With Dennis Quaid And it's like oh shit Jerry Lee Lewis like married his 15-year-old cousin.
3: Yes, yeah. But at least they play that one out like they, Yeah. in that movie, it, it had an impact on his life. But with Chaplin, it didn't seem to bother the people around him. And I'm not sure how accurate that is to the time. That it's... Like, they kind of play when some of the marriages come to an end for various reasons. They play it up like he's the victim. And it's like, yeah, like some of the of stuff that like, there's, there's one where it's like, okay, as the divorce is happening, they literally try to, like, seize one of his unfinished films so that they can release it and make the profits, and they, they're saying, oh, it's an asset of the marriage or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that you shouldn't do that. Like, his her, clearly her lawyer shouldn't have been going after his, uh, his film, like, in that way. But he's still married a teenager, and he probably shouldn't have done that, so... <laughs> it's hard to see him as the victim in that scenario but I don't know yeah I, yeah. I, I kind of enjoyed watching the movie the, the performance is fun from Robert Downey Jr and some of the there's a bunch of like cameos because as he shows up at different points in his life like Dan Aykroyd plays the guy that hires him to come out to Hollywood and um, I'm trying to think of who else was in it there's, there's a bunch of different people in it though yeah. and uh, there were it was fun to see them all and it's, it's just I don't think you're meant to think of it that much about the morality of the character <laughs> as much as you're just supposed to be like, isn't it, isn't it cool he made all these movies and made people happy? You know? So, watch it on that level. I think it's quite enjoyable. And you're like, oh, look, they got that guy playing Douglas Fairbanks. Like That's that's interesting, you know? All that kind of stuff. But, uh, Yeah i um, more in line with what we're supposed to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> I got around to the 1986 TV movie Brotherhood of Justice. Mm. You guys have seen this one, right?
2: No, I didn't even know anything about it.
3: It's Canu uh, Reeves and uh, Kiefer Sutherland star and Lori Laughlin's in it. Hey. And
2: We forgot to mention the greatest thing Donald Sutherland gave us was Kiefer Sutherland
3: yeah that's part of why i watched this this week (laughs) but uh so the plot line of this movie they're all in high school and uh keanu reeves is the main character and he's sort of the the all-american guy he's the uh, quarterback and he's about to graduate and he's been accepted to harvard and all this kind of stuff and uh because it's the 80s, their high school is naturally being overrun by, like, criminals, right? And so Reeves and a few of the other guys from his uh, football team, including, you know, Billy Zane and a couple other faces that you'll definitely recognize if you watch movies in the 80s, are, uh, they decided to start their own, like, vigilante group. Because <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do in made-for-TV movies, right? Sure. <laughs> and so it's, the, the basic plot is... Um, it starts out with them just like, you know, there's a drug dealer who's throwing a party, so they embarrass him and all in front of all his friends, and they make an announcement like, if you fucking don't stop dealing drugs at our school, then the more this is going to come, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the idea of the plot is that it, it, as it, some of the guys start to enjoy the vengeance a little bit too much, and so they uh, start going a little overboard, and they start like. Like there's one guy that's on the football team with him and they end up injuring him during practice and Cannon Reeves' character's like "Well, what the fuck is the point of that? You didn't send any message to him because he doesn't know that you guys are this brotherhood of justice that's seeking out vengeance against people so what was the point of injuring him if he doesn't send the message and they're all like I don't know it's sort of fun to injure that guy like (laughs) and it it culminates with like uh, a guy being stabbed and then leads to eventually they're going to blow up Kiefer Sutherland's character's car, and he's sort of the rival of Keanu Reeves' character, so Reeves has to make the moral decision between his his brothers and his enemy, but, you know, saving his enemy is doing the right thing. Um, Real cheesy, but it was a surprisingly good movie. Like, the performances were pretty good. The plot worked better than I expected it to. I was expecting it to be really corny, and it wasn't. Um, The one scene where there is an actual, like, they actually end up stabbing a guy, it's, like, kind of a cool moment and pretty effective because they do it in sort of, like, a crowd setting and only, like, a few people around know what's going on. You can kind of just see everybody else just reacting to it. It's done surprisingly well. It has this weird, like, anti-racism message built into it, too, because for some reason every time a crime is committed, everyone assumes it was, like, a Mexican that did it. <laughs> and there's always a character in the background to be like, no, 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 we don't assume it was the Mexicans. That's not cool, man. Um, so, I, but then at one point they do go after some Mexicans, and then the portrayal of the Mexicans is pretty racist. So it's it's still the 80s. Don't worry. Um, but I, weirdly enough, I would actually almost recommend this movie to people who have an interest in the subject matter. Keeping in mind that it's the made-for-TV version, that you're not going to get the big kind of like action sequences that you might expect in a Vigilante film from the 80s. It's on a more subdued level. But I enjoyed watching it. It actually played a a pretty significant impact on the the rest of my week. (laughs) Can we find out what else I watched? (laughs) Because uh, there's a guy in this movie, and it, it turns out the actor's name is like Gary Riley or something. And I just I just remember him as Dave from the movie Summer School. Have you guys, have you guys seen Summer School?
2: Uh, weirdly, I have not. Okay, it's one that I feel like I should have watched.
1: Yeah, I I know I saw it at some point, but I always get it confused with another movie. Okay. Ski School?
3: <laughs> no, not Ski School. No, I think Ski School is like a has one of the same actors that leads in Summer School in it as well. So, but anyways, yeah so i watched summer school 1987 88 whatever year basically a a slapstick comedy about all the slow kids get put in summer school and the gym teacher is forced to teach them english and he doesn't know how and isn't that hilarious Mm -hmm. um but the key that makes this important for nerds is that the the two main students in it are huge horror nerds back at a time when uh horrors were not common in cinema so they're they love Texas Chainsaw Massacre and they in, order, they in order to like agree to study they insist on having a a screening of it in class and all this stuff and it's I don't know it's cheesy but it's a fun watch it's a directed by Carl Reiner so it's actually a well-made film even though the subject matter is ridiculous and it's just basically a slapstick comedy so mm-hmm. I don't know I recommend that one on the basis of I liked it when I was a kid, so I rewatched it now, and it's still fun to watch now.
2: Yeah, I think it's one I'm definitely going to end up checking out at some point. Just, I feel like it's going to be a fun relic of the '80s to watch that I somehow missed. So,
3: yeah, like it's the kind of movie I think you'll enjoy if you like '80s comedies. Hmm. But watching '80s comedies, if you haven't seen the, like if you didn't see them in the '80s that's not going to be everybody's cup of tea
0: yeah. right
3: and you know it has pretty typical like there's no plot to it per se it's like oh do you think he'll like one of those subplots is like he's up for the teacher is up for tenure and it's like well will he get it and it's like well what do you think is gonna fucking happen
2: like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know and there's like you know like kirsty alley plays like the teacher who's teaching the advanced kids that signed up for summer school voluntarily in the next room and he keeps hitting on her and it's like oh i wonder if they'll end up together there's no way that this could play out right (laughs) you know all that kind of stuff but on the other hand we get these guys uh you know we get to watch the scene where they go to a amusement park and then the nerdy kid is puking and the two kind of main characters are doing like commentary as if they are reviewing a movie talking about the rides and they're using his puking to discuss how that (laughs) makes it a good ride and that's funny to me so (laughs) I don't know you guys guys can watch that or not watch that at your own discretion
2: (laughs) Uh, I'll have to make it happen eventually
3: yeah Uh, the next thing I watched because I got it in my head that maybe this was actually technically a sequel to the brotherhood of justice was i watched point break because if you remember the plot line of that movie is uh candy reeves plays a old uh quarterback who got injured in college and therefore had to become an fbi agent because he couldn't
2: (laughs) play football
3: that's how that works right (laughs) so yeah so in my head, I like to think that it's the kid from Brotherhood of Justice went on to, like, have a successful college football career after learning his lessons in high school. And then because of his – uh, he now had this idea that he liked bringing criminals to justice, so he decided
2: when he couldn't play football anymore to join the FBI. Oh.
3: So I – do you I think? I managed to convince myself
2: that. Do you think the third movie in this is the replacements, where he gets a chance to come back and play football again professionally during the strike? See,
3: you're reading my fucking mind. I was gonna bring that up. Oh really? <laughs> like, I was, I was nice. gonna bring that up because this movie ends with him tossing his badge aside and walking <laughs> away from the FBI because now he's he's learned his lesson that he doesn't want to catch bad guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: uh, uh, yeah so I don't know I I imagine everybody's seen Point Break From 1991
2: uh, Continuing a theme for this episode I actually have not Really? And I don't know why
1: It's just I never well, had a
2: chance to watch it And just never did
1: I'm, That one's a weird one to not have seen
2: That's super yeah. weird that you haven't and, seen it and now I'm worried that it's something You had to see in the 80s So if I watch it I'm going to be like Well this isn't very good and well, be disappointed
3: let me walk you through the plot line and see
2: should I just watch the remake I'll just watch the remake
3: no don't do that
2: <laughs>
3: do the <that>. fucking <laughs> remake it's garbage man It wasn't the remake of Point Break it should be illegal to refer to it as a movie
0: hmm.
3: it is a series of stunt reels <laughs> that they have just spliced together until there was enough of it to make it feature length that's not what a movie is, but right. the classic Point Break, where Keanu Reeves, in his like first day in the job for the FBI, has teamed up with Gary Busey, who's a veteran <laughs> FBI agent.
2: As as what happens?
3: To, to teamed to and they're teamed up. To they're immediately put on the case of these uh, bank robbers that rob uh, banks dressed up as the ex-presidents of the United States. <laughs> um, so they all wear different like. One guy's wearing a Nixon mask, one guy's wearing a Reagan mask. I don't know. I don't think Reagan was still president in 91. You guys would know better than me. He wasn't. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a guy in a Jimmy Carter mask and another one I don't immediately recognize. Um, anyways, doesn't matter. So Gary Busey has this standing theory that those guys are... Uh, surfers these bits based on like some stuff they found at crime scenes and that so Candy Reeves naturally now has to go undercover as a surfer and you know in order to try and track down these uh, bank robbers and wouldn't you know it just all the bad luck in the world the the ones he becomes friends with turn out to be the bank robbers so now he has to kind of he's torn between the two worlds because he's developed such a spiritual love of surfing and he doesn't want to take out his buddies and along the way you get stuff like him getting into a fist fight with the red hot chili peppers you get guys jumping out of airplanes and then other guys jumping out of airplanes to chase him.
2: Hmm. it's also very California
3: it, it is very California mm-hmm. and it is, it is very early 90s The love interest is played by Lori Petty <laughs> it's I mean it is so objectively ridiculous when you talk about this movie. Like the fact that okay, so everybody knows who Keanu Reeves' character is, right? Like he played in some important football game, so everybody who follows college football, which is apparently a lot of people, um, knows who he is and how he got injured in this big game and that's why he never went pro and stuff. But yet they still put him in as the undercover guy. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. And then his like he invites the people he meets when he's acting undercover back to his real house he doesn't have like a safe house or anything so when they figure out he's an FBI agent they can just come get him at the house it's crazy but it's super fun I I only found out when I was looking for it to watch that it's directed by Catherine Bigelow which means she's she was in my head in the late 80s and early 90s because between this and Near Dark that's like a lot of nights I spent watching Catherine Piccolo movies over and over again. You had no idea? Yeah. So huge recommend for Point Break even though maybe you shouldn't watch it because if you didn't like The Puppet Masters you might not like watching <laughs> 90s action.
2: I don't know. I might enjoy it. We'll have to see.
3: It's significantly more ridiculous than in anything else so that makes it a lot more fun. It's mm. um, just don't think too hard at all when you watch it because it's full of great one-liners about how everybody keeps calling Canny Reeves old because he's <laughs> learning how to surf at 25. It's like all these teenagers who keep coming up to him and being like, don't worry, man, it's never too late to learn. Oh, God. But, you know, then you get Patrick Swayze and Canny Reeves like Fist bumping on their way down as they skydive out of a plane. It's like, what more do you fucking want?
2: Well, they could have thumbs up, fist bumped, but they do.
3: (laughs) They do like the bro, like where they grab hands, so it's not really a handshake. I don't know what that's called. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, and of course Gary Busey's Gary Busey, so.
2: This is pre-accident Gary Busey, so... Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But he was still kind of crazy. Keep that in mind. Everyone thinks that, you know, because Gary Busey had a head injury, he's crazy. But they forget that he was a little crazy before that.
2: (laughs) It was just a different type of crazy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Like, this is the type of crazy you would believe he murdered someone. Current Gary Busey, it's like, well probably eat cereal out of the toilet that's the kind of crazy
3: Uh, that is maybe the best description of Gary Busey I've ever heard (laughs) certainly the most accurate Uh, I don't know where to go from there (laughs) I guess we're done with that discussion there's nothing left to be said Uh, the only other thing I watched was like 2015 movie from Australia, called "Me and My Mates Versus the Zombie
2: Apocalypse." Oh yeah, how was it? Uh, extremely mediocre. No,
3: it's just boring. Yeah, it's it's kind of the Australian response to Zombieland, um, as it's a group of people trapped in a like, what's it like? They're in a some kind of a building where there's like a telephone exchange I think they refer to it as which I think is just like it's one of those buildings that has a tower on the top of it and a bunch of wires in it and the phone company has to go there every now and again to fix things I don't know what goes on I don't know how phones work if anyone's wondering (laughs) Um, but yeah so it's just a bunch of people who work there are trapped inside and the one guy's like daughter is there and then her boyfriend shows up and there's like a bunch of jokes between him and the the dad he doesn't get along with and, and stuff like that and you know Typical zombie comedy stuff But it is Australian So it's I like that type of humor um, Which is probably what Took it from Bad to mediocre Because it's not a real Laugh out loud Funny one to me no. um, But I, I, I mostly watched it Because Jim Jeffries is in it And I'm a big fan of his comedy Yeah But he's It's pretty obvious that like They didn't have him For the entire filming Schedule Put it that mm. way yeah. So, I mean, there, there's, it, there are a number of funny moments. There are a few good gore moments. There's one kill that's an obvious reference to uh, like a tribute to Day of the Dead, which is pretty well done. And it made me think about whether the whole movie was sort of a tribute to Day of the Dead, with them being stuck in this like one kind of location. But I uh, had. And I just stopped thinking about it too hard. I just tried (laughs) to laugh at the jokes and watch the zombies get stabbed because that's more fun.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I kind of wanted to see that one. You saying it's mediocre has me a little worried.
3: Yeah, I, I didn't not like it. I don't regret watching it. But I wouldn't sit here and say, like, oh, you've got to see it. There are better horror comedies out there. Like, if you're a huge fan of that type of movie... Yeah. It, you'll enjoy it, but it's not going to win you over. I don't think. If you're not a fan, like if you enjoyed Zombie Land Two, you'll probably enjoy this.
2: Yeah. So. Hmm. Right. Uh, did uh, you watch anything else?
3: That was it for me.
2: Yeah. A couple things. I don't think anything worth uh, spending a lot of time on. Um. Rewatched uh the Joe Lynch movie Mayhem because they showed it on Joe Bob, and it was fun to watch along as uh Joe Bob kinda made fun of it. Um Yeah, I don't know. Uh this and the Belco experiment came out pretty close together and they're very similar, but I seem to enjoy just the more chaotic nature of this one. Uh f- People haven't seen it. Essentially, uh, this office building, some sort of virus gets uh, into the building and it makes people lose their inhibitions. So they kind of go primal and they will either uh, randomly have sex or just start murdering people. And uh, Glenn from The Walking Dead is the main character. And he gets fired, but before they can escort him out of the building. Um And he gets fired. He's sort of like a scapegoat. Like, he didn't do anything, but they're firing him because of this or whatever. And before you get out of the building, it's locked down by the government. And apparently there's, like, a 12-hour, like, uh, something. I can't remember if they're, like, pumping in the uh antidote. But it takes like 12 hours to clear your system or something. And they mentioned there's been precedents that uh, people under the influence of the virus have murdered someone and uh, they uh, basically have immunity because they were not of their right mind or something. So there's an precedent set. So since he's so mad, Glenn decides I'm going to fucking go up to the top floor and murder the, the, uh, CEO or whatever who's a giant douchebag and because he deserves it and I'll get away with it. So the, basically the movie is him going floor by floor trying to get to the top floor and he brings uh, Samara Weaving with him and uh, hilarity ensues. So worth a watch. I enjoyed it. Um, I checked out Turbo Kid for the first time. Okay. Uh, This is a little bit of a spinoff of the ABCs of Death shorts. Um, They submitted uh, T is for Turbo. And if people remember, it was like a toy commercial, sort of like the old G.I. Joe commercials, but it was set like in a post-apocalyptic type of uh, setting. And the kid sort of like gets like uh, transported into the world uh, of his toys, like what the toys are kind of representing. But then he gets enslaved and just becomes like a slave in this wasteland or whatever. Um, so this is a little bit different. Uh, so we're in the wasteland. It seems like everybody rides like a BMX. It seems like the dystopian future happened in the 80s. So everything kind of stops culture wise after the 80s. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fun, but I feel like it's just missing something. And I don't know what it is. Like, it's got all this 80s nostalgia stuff. Definitely reminds you of, like, Mad Max type stuff infused with, you know, like I said, BMX bikes and all kinds of other crazy 80s stuff. He has, like, one of those uh, fucking Viewmaster, like, hanging around his neck and stuff. And Michael Ironside's in it, so it's tough to uh, hate it too much because he's the bad guy. Um. Yeah, I just feel like it just needed a little something extra, and I was I'm not sure what that was. Uh, But apparently they're working on a sequel, which I would be down for watching. Um. Then I watched Bad Boys for Life because I was I loved the original Bad Boys, like the first one, and I mean I was like 16 when it was in theaters, so that probably accounts for a lot of it. I wasn't a huge fan of the second one, but I was excited for this one and I watched it and it's got good moments, but yeah, there's just, it's tough seeing these two guys get old and a lot of the jokes are about how old they are now. And it just kind of undercuts a lot of stuff, which is a bummer, but it does have some good set pieces. I just, I wish there could have been more. Um, I don't know if you were excited about it. I guess I would say watch it, but. It's not going to change your life or anything. Uh, then I was bored one day and thought, you know what? I haven't seen Romancing the Stone since I was super young, like right after it came out on video. So I gave that a watch and that uh, was fun. I was just looking for like a sort of adventure comedy type thing. And, of course, this has uh, Danny DeVito as sort of a bad guy chasing around Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. Um, yeah, it was all right. It does feel a little like a uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark light. But from what I was reading, uh, the script was actually written before that one.
3: So here's the fun fact. I've never seen that one.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's, it's uh I don't know. I keep saying this, but it's not going to change your life or anything, but you know, it's got some laughs, it kind of if you're into the Indiana Jones movies, even though it's not trying to play off that, it does kind of. So, you can kind of have fun with that. Um not as adventurous as uh Indiana Jones, but it's got its moments. Uh, so, I need to watch the sequel Uh, Jewel of the Nile Sometime coming up We'll see if it's any good I don't remember if I've ever actually seen that one or not Uh, Then I guess the last thing I watched Was the Scooby-Doo and Batman Brave and the Bold Crossover Okay. Which uh, I loved Batman Brave and the Bold When it was on Which I thought was weird because I was a big fan Of Batman the Animated Series And just how dark it was and everything and Batman: Brave and the Bold is like the opposite of that. It's like colorful and fun and happy, and just has a lot of fun. Like bringing in old DC villains and characters and stuff. And as I've said, has the best uh, version of Aquaman that's ever been created. So, um, so having a movie where they cross over with uh, Scooby-Doo. I'm like, this is like a tradition, like Scooby-Doo, all, all the incarnations of Scooby-Doo, they always cross over with Batman at some point. And it just happens to be like a version of Batman that I was super excited about. So. That it, makes uh, sense. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's they basically Batman tricks them into uh, sort of solving this crime or whatever. And they find out it was a test. Because Batman wanted to invite them into the Gotham uh, mystery solvers or something—I don't know—so all the great uh, detectives from DC Comics and Scooby Doo are all part of like this group that help each other solve crimes, and uh, they get they find out there's one case that Batman never solved for whatever reason, and uh, they end up trying to help him. Figure out what happened and yeah, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Lots of Scooby-Doo stuff, lots of fun, uh, Batman villains show up. Uh, and then at the end, cause you know, Batman has that trophy case, like in his, in the Batcave where he has like all the old costumes and stuff. Yep. Um, something happens and they have to dress up in the old Bat costumes. Of oh course. really? Of course to uh go help him out yeah so that
3: sounds about right
2: yeah so it's a lot of fun it's just batman brave and the bold is a little bit almost like a cartoon version of like 60s batman but it still has like a lot of heart to it which is good
1: it's so, it's very much silver age
2: yeah and so uh teaming that up with scooby-doo it's like a perfect fit like the two the two uh the atmosphere of both shows like complement each other really well. So it was just a lot of fun, like seeing them play off each other and everything. So big recommend for me. Uh, I'm definitely a huge uh, Batman fan and I love Scooby-Doo. So I'm always excited when they do these Batman Scooby-Doo crossovers. Like I said, this was kind of a perfect fit. So the only thing I was hoping for was an appearance by Batmite, but doesn't happen. So,
3: it's a really specific thing to hope for that.
2: Well, he was on Batman Brave and the Bold every once in a while and he's voiced by Paul Rubens, so he's a lot of fun. So I was hoping he would have made an appearance, but it was not to be. But we do see, get to see uh, Detective Chimp, which is a smart chimpanzee who wears, like, a Sherlock Holmes hat and solves crimes.
1: Naturally. So, right. Of course. Did you did you ever read the... Uh, fuck. I'm trying to remember what they were called. They were basically DC's version of the Midnight Suns, where it's all the magical people out fighting oh, stuff yeah, at
2: yeah, night. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: and, and there's a whole run where somehow Detective Chimp gets a hold of Dr. Fate's helmet but it won't fit over his head. So he spends the entire run of the comic book with like the helmet of Naboo just wedged onto the top of his head (laughs) because he can't actually put it on.
2: Mm -hmm. It's delightful. And uh, the question who I'm a big fan of was pretty prominent in this movie. And the good thing is Batman, brave and the bold he's voiced by Jeffrey Combs. So had lots of Jeffrey Combs going on in this movie.
1: Yeah, Jeffrey Combs does his voice in uh, Young Justice, too.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're currently working our way through there. So we're not quite to the end of season one yet.
1: It's really good. It's weird how the shift that happens from season one to season two. Oh, yeah.
2: No, I watched season one and season two when they first came out. Um, And then I wanted to watch season three, but I didn't want to get the DC app. So I just bought it and they had a bundle for all three seasons for 25 bucks. So, I picked that up and I just like, man, I'm just going to go from the beginning cuz I don't technically did- 100% remember what's going on. So,
1: Did you watch uh Batman Beyond?
2: Uh on and off. I think I watched a lot of it, but I don't I do not I It wasn't like a consistent watch for me.
1: Yeah, so Uh, They never really got a last episode You know because like most cartoons It just kind of one day got Mm cancelled The Last episode Of season 2 I think it is They were supposed to only have 12 episodes or something And they did a 13th episode That is basically just a Batman Beyond episode that ties up And ends that series Nice which is pretty cool. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty cool thing to do, to be like, let's use one episode of our show to end another <laughs> show that never got to end. Yeah.
2: Yeah, next I need to, uh, I need to go through, because uh, I have the entire run of Batman, the animated series, on Voodoo as well. I got that super cheap off of uh, one of the Facebook pages that I subscribe to where they're selling off digital codes so I need to go through that again because I loved that show when it was on
0: here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near
3: future Uh,
2: All right, next week Body Snatchers Month continues Uh, we're going to be checking out the 1993 Body Snatchers and I think was it Doug that teamed up Body Snatchers with the Charlie Sheen movie The Arrival
3: I don't think that was me
2: or was that Noah? Uh,
1: if I was picking a Charlie Sheen movie, I probably wouldn't do The Arrival. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Well, if you're picking a Charlie Sheen Alien Invasion movie, you might. it's a pretty narrow topic.
2: Who the fuck picked The Arrival, then?
1: I don't know. I don't know. That sounds like a random Brian one Where you just went this movie And plugged it
3: in without even
2: I thinking I don't about it. know I've seen this movie once and I never think it was very good I don't know
3: I seem yeah. to remember enjoying it a long time ago But it's been a long time Since I watched it
2: I don't know We're we're going to be talking about The Arrival with Charlie Sheen I just remember it's an alien thing and
3: yeah, It's alien invasions It's I think it's yeah if I remember correctly it kind of has a body snatchers like feel to it in the way he's trying to expose the conspiracy and people don't believe him and stuff like that Mm -hmm. not sure that there's much of the actual body snatching going on though
2: and I've never seen the 93 body snatchers so I'm excited to check it out see if it's uh, any good or not
1: I remember watching it on TV when it came out but that's it I don't remember anything about what I saw on the screen (laughs)
3: Hmm. Yeah, I feel like I probably saw this at the time, <sighs> but it's been a long time. Yeah. It's,
1: it's much like the show The Outer Limits. If I think back, I can distinctly remember several times sitting down in front of a TV and recalling the opening uh, credit sequence for The Outer Limits. But I can't ever remember <laughs> watching any actual episode of The Outer Limits.
2: I remember quite a few, but I also worked at a TV station where we ran them. So my job was kind of to make sure that it aired properly. Um, I remember they had one that was basically like a clip show, where they yep. took a bunch of like scenes from previous episodes and somehow made them into like a movie. But yeah, it was, it was like the, a it was court or trail. something.
3: Yeah, it was basically a guy pres- making a presentation to the government, saying like, "Look at all this weird shit that's gone on. Like, we have to, we have to tackle all this." And he was presenting. like, yeah. What about, what about the Sand Kings? Those little creepy fuckers who brought back from Mars are still running around. Like, and uh, he went through all the different lists of all the things. I liked mm. that show actually quite a bit when it was new. I haven't seen it in a long time,
2: but
3: yeah, I, think yeah. I remember that that opening episode of the little like scorpion things that they brought back from Mars and they went to war with each other in that guy's barn that was fun there was that do you guys remember the one where the game they put in uh, nanobots into the guy and his the idea was that they would you know detect whatever was wrong with you and fix it but then they went too far and like he fell asleep in the bathtub and then the next day the nanobots gave him
2: gills and shit like that (laughs) I don't think I saw that one But that sounds about right Yeah uh, But most importantly next week Body Snatchers 93 stars It doesn't star But has one Forrest Whitaker in it So time to take bets If uh, Ghost Dog is going to make an appearance
1: Ghost Dog
2: It's so weird we're doing a Body Snatcher month And for some reason Ghost Dog Is the, is the theme for the month
1: I don't get it
2: you don't have to get it. You just have to live with it.
1: I just, I wish I I had the capability to like edit things and do special effects. Because if I could, our Facebook page would have the end of body snatchers with Donald Sutherland pointing and screaming, and Forrest Whitaker would come out of nowhere with a katana and like chop his arm off. The ghost dog. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.